episode is sponsored by Cytiva. Cytiva, now with the life sciences business from Paul, is a global provider of the technologies, services, and expertise that researchers and biopharma companies need to bring transformative medicines from discovery to delivery. Learn more at Cytiva.com. That's C-Y-T-I-V-A dot com. You're listening to Podnosis, the pulse of the healthcare industry. I'm Ayla Ellison. In a world where virtual assistants are becoming a ubiquitous part of our digital interactions, the question arises, how can we ensure diversity in the voices guiding us? Companies like Apple, Amazon, and Meta are introducing diverse voices, but what about healthcare? After 15 years, Walters Kluwer Health has decided to reimagine its voice technology, placing a significant emphasis on diversity. Why? To better connect with and engage diverse patients. But how does one design and implement thoughtful voice interactions in healthcare AI? To answer that, Fierce's Anastasia Gliadkoskia sat down with Freddie Feldman, the Director of Voice and Conversational Interfaces at Walters Kluwer Health. Here they are. Well, hello, Freddie. Thank you so much for making the time. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. It's going good. Well, I'm really excited to chat with you about uh, racial representation in voice technology. I feel like this is not really something that we think about day to day, but is obviously really important when um, thinking about patient equity. So to start, I just wanted to get your take on why this matters and you know, to what extent does it have the ability to make a meaningful difference for patients? One interesting thing, so you mentioned this might, might not be something we think about every day, but it's actually might be thought about more than you think <laughs> or more than you realize if you realize that the, your own representation isn't there, right? So if you don't hear yourself and you don't see yourself or people like you in voice announcements on TV and ads and things like that, you notice it. If you if you always feel represented, you, you take it for granted um, and you don't notice it. And so a few years ago, we took a look at our own voice programs uh, because we send out IVR, which are interactive voice response, uh, interactive phone calls, right? So we send outbound calls to patients on behalf of uh, hospitals, hospital systems, some payers as well. When you interact with one of these, it's similar to like anything that you would, any voice interface like Alexa or Siri, or um, when you call to track a package on UPS or anything like that. And the voice you hear on the other end matters. You can, the, the fidelity, you know, the sound quality that we hear over the phone is good enough for you to tell uh, subconsciously, uh, you know, what that person sort of looks like or is like, right? And there's a persona that you try to, you know, get across in that voice. And so we looked at our own programs and, you know, we've had one single voice for 15 years uh, on our programs because, because of branding, right? Like that's just, we pick one voice, 
she voiced all of our stuff and it, and she's wonderful and, and she's still with us. Um, but you know, we were like, we need to expand the sounds that we're able to, to provide and the voices that we're able to provide. And so we did a big search and found uh, a new voice that we were able to add now to our basically growing roster of voices. Um, that was voiced by a black voice actor. Um, so she's been recording with us for about two and a half years now. It matters because our goal is to connect better with patients on these calls, right? And so if there is a lack of diversity in the voices, you know, it, it, it's a less personalized experience. And then there's missed opportunities for real meaningful interactions with the patient. And so it's been, you know, uh, like a really interesting ride to like, uh, bring on this new voice and then also, you know, look at what other voices can we add and, you know, uh, things like that. So, yeah, it's really interesting, especially considering how long you, you had that original voice in place yeah. and, um, you know, re reimagining what patient engagement could look like, uh, mm-hmm. as we think about diversity more and more in healthcare. And since you have been working with this new person for two years, you said, mm-hmm. What has been the impact that you've seen, whether it's through feedback from patients or maybe stronger engagement rates? Have you noticed a difference? And if so, what has that difference looked like? We haven't yet seen a quantifiable difference, but mostly because we're still then randomly reaching out to patients, right? And so we're not necessarily matching. Uh, We're just adding voices, right? So we have seen an uptick in our engagement rates over the past year. Whether or not we can attribute that to the addition of this voice, you know, that's pretty loose. But so what we're actually doing right now, uh, we've been putting it together for the past few months, and we are about to launch the campaigns as part of a study in the next few weeks, where we will be very intentionally racially matching patients with the voice that they hear on these calls. So we've partnered with uh, one of our clients with a hospital system in the South, um, who has been really great about sharing demographic data about their their patients. And so we have been able to identify which patients we're calling out of 19,000 patients, let's say that we're going to call. Um, we know this segment, those have all identified as, as black patients. These have all identified as white patients. And we're sending uh, the campaigns out where the calls are going out to black patients using our black voice actor, the, to the white patients using our white voice actor, and then a grouping where we switch it, where it's intentionally uh, mismatched. And then looking at that, that data and those numbers and really see the impact uh, that, that we're, we're having on the, uh, you know, with the engagement on these calls. Because right now, um, it's really hard to, to draw those direct connections if we don't know anything about the patients we're calling, right? So we can add this new uh, Kristen, uh, our new uh, Black voice actor. We can add Kristen on our calls, and we still don't know then until we do this study and we have a tighter integration with our, our clients. Um, we don't know if anyone we're calling with this voice is either Black, White, or other. And so it's very hard to draw that that connection. But the hope is through this study is to really hone in on like, what is this impact in numbers, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting study. I'd I'd be really curious to see the results. I I read a blog that you wrote not too long ago, (laughs) um, which mentioned that there 
there really isn't a lot of data out there on no. the gaps in, in representation in voice technology and how patients respond. Can you talk about that a little bit? We, we were able to find one study when we were sort of getting into all this. We're like, all right, let's see what numbers there are. And there was a study done at University of Colorado back in 2014 that was measuring, it wasn't exactly efficacy, but it was patient satisfaction um, with IVR calls that they were receiving, encouraging them to get colorectal cancer screening. It was definitely positive. Uh, the, you know, the results were positive. The patients you know, appreciated and noticed the difference in the voice. But again, there wasn't the data connected with that study. I think further work needed to be done. And that was just a one-time thing that they did. Um, and so that's why we are doing our own study is because we can't you know, we couldn't find the, the numbers we were looking for. And so, you know, there there's not a lot out there. And I don't think it's, I mean, I'd like to think anyway, that it's not intentional. I think it has a, it's a tendency in a lot of cases, even in like algorithmic bias on the recognition algorithms is it wasn't, you know, if something wasn't trained on a diverse data set, then it's not representative of everything. And so sometimes that happens intentionally or, you know, sort of uh, subconsciously, even intentionally, but like intentionally. And sometimes it's just a lack of diversity on the team that's doing the study and they just look at them themselves, basically, right? And so I I think it's coming around. And, you know, uh, I was doing some research recently to see since I started talking about this topic, which was 2020, have there been any success stories? Because they're really there, there, there was only white voices available on Siri, on Alexa, uh, Polly, Sonos, everything, right? They were all Google. Since then, there have been some success stories. And it's really interesting to see how they have or have not really sort of been released, you know, they were, had they been released with sort of a lack of fanfare or, or attention. So like Siri has Depending on who you ask, one to two black voices. Uh, I use the it's voice three. They don't name their voices on Siri because they're all Siri. Where you see a lot of TTS or synthetic voices, you know, they they come up with names for each persona or each sound of a of a voice so that you can tell them apart and say, "I want this one." Siri doesn't do that. They just have voice two, voice three, voice four, voice two has been people have identified it as being a black voice. Uh, it's on the edge for me. Um, being able to tell, but I've been using the voice three, which is a male black voice for uh, about a year and a half or so now. Um, and it's my preferred voice. Uh, Polly uh, from Amazon, which is the engine that drives Alexa, but is not the voice necessarily of Alexa. This past October released a male and female black voice, uh, Danielle and Gregory. But Alexa is still one voice. Um, they're sticking hard with their branding and that this is our, our voice of this product and you can't really change it unless you want to go to a different language or geolocation, right? So like if you, if you, if you, instead of English, you know, U S English, you want to switch to English for UK or something like that, you may have access to an Indian English voice, but it's not an American accent. I don't know. It's, it's still British, right? So um, there's still, there's still work to do. Uh, the Sonos one is one of my favorite examples. Sonos, the speaker company, traditionally used uh, or for a while has used Alexa embedded into it or Google Assistant embedded into it. And they created their own voice assistant using the voice of Giancarlo Esposito, or it's modeled on him. 
Emma, and he is just such a great, he's such a great actor, he's such a wonderful voice, and I could just listen to him talk forever. So, like last year, they released uh, that uh, voice assistant using his voice, uh, and he is a black voice actor. Um, and Spotify's DJ also is uh, a black voice. It's Xavier Jernigan, hmm. uh, X from uh, Spotify. It's really fascinating. I wonder, have you been tracking these um, these interfaces or the voices and interfaces in healthcare or like in companies that are big, just big tech giants? Not, I haven't, I don't have access to those typically. So like, I don't, I haven't heard anything other than our own voices, <laughs> our own programs. I'm not too familiar, you know, although there's little things, there's sort of one way voice interfaces, which is kind of fun, another interesting thing. Uh, or aspect of this that we don't even think about. I can't remember where you're located. I'm sorry. New York City. Where you're, oh, you're in New York. Okay. So like, mm-hmm. uh, beware of the closing doors or something like that on the train, mm-hmm. right? On the subway. Um, mm-hmm. The moving walkway is about to end. Um, mm-hmm. You know, floor five or whatever. Like we have, an, we have announcements, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're not two-way interfaces. Um, they're still just output of an interface and it's still a, a voice. And sometimes they can be more dynamic than just a, a set recording. And those also are, you know, I've almost never heard a voice that is non-white uh, in any of those or a CT scanner. I had a CT scan a few weeks ago. All good. Um, but uh, there's a, you know, there's hold your breath and all that kind of those, mm. those prompts and they're all white voices. Yeah. That's a good point. And I would imagine, I mean, we've been talking about patients feeling represented in the voice that they are talking to, but, what about the technology being able to recognize a patient's voice? The recognition side, I don't have a lot of insight into the the training and uh, for the speech recognition, especially on our our systems. We use you know we use a platform by a, a third party. Oh, uh, but okay. the the issue you know typically is uh, that on the training you know whether or not there's racial bias in the algorithms based on the data set that they were trained on, and if they weren't mm-hmm. trained on a fully diverse data set, then they may have trouble understanding or recognizing speech from someone with a slightly different accent or with a slightly different type of voice. Um, and uh, yeah, and so like uh, we don't we don't uh, do too much on that. That's on the input side of things, and we focus I mostly gotcha. on the output. Yeah. Huh. I didn't realize that they're. <laughs> I didn't think about the fact that they are pretty pretty different technologies. That makes sense. And you've mentioned that um, you know a voice technology is becoming a bigger area of focus. I think I read a, read this in your blog um, in, term, in in the context of healthcare. Why is this especially important for reaching vulnerable patients or mm. um, patients that might be at higher risk for certain conditions? Like what in what context is voice technology really powerful? Well, I mean the the way we use. Um, voice interfaces in our programs is not just, these aren't just blasts. These aren't phone calls that we just call and we give you a notification. It's really important that you, you hear about this. Goodbye. You know, we're gathering information for the patient. We're, we're asking them questions about their care the, you know, with the goal of reducing readmissions. So we have a couple different types of these IVR programs. One of them, uh, our longer program, which is called journeys, most of them are built right now, at least to assist patients in uh, transitioning from the hospital back home. So they've been in the hospital, they've been discharged. Um, and how do we keep them home and not have them come back to the hospital? And it's really important that they 
feel comfortable on the calls, right? And so we don't have voices on our calls that are shouting at you, right? Because that that's not engaging. <laughs> that's not endearing in any way. And that that's not anything that a patient's going to connect with. And the same goes for even the race of the person, you know, doing the speaking, anything we can do to reduce friction, right? Like, so anything we can do to tighten that bond that the patient has with the voice and with the program means they're going to follow through with what you suggest. It means they're going to answer your questions truthfully. Um, And then we can succeed in those goals of lowering readmissions, scaling care, right? Like that's a big problem right now is staffing, right? And so you can't have someone on staff call every patient after, after they have a procedure. I was talking to a nurse who works in a GI center. They do colonoscopies. You know how many colonoscopies they do in a day? And she, she's like, we don't have the staff to call everybody after all of these procedures. Cause we, I mean, they kind of churn through them um, in a day. And so they have to ask patients, would you like a follow-up call? So that they can like reduce the number of follow-up calls they have to make. Using something like Emmy, you don't have to do that. You can we can call lots of patients. We can call every patient that you've ever had in, in your hospital, right? And it's not it's not an issue. And then really gather the right amount of data from the patient, the right information to then highlight any issues for the care team to look into, right? And so we're not diagnosing things on these calls. We're not asking questions and saying, okay, you have this. We're alerting the care team to things that they need to to look into, right? And we have different types of flagging on our journeys where we say, oh, this is a yellow flag, which is something to highlight. And then there's a red flag that someone needs to call this patient, right? Um, These are non-emergent situations, but it's still crucial that someone calls them back. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you brought up trust and how important it is for patients to have this bond or relationship with the voice. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thinking about wording, too. Mm. not just the voice itself, but how are you thinking about how wording might affect a sense of inclusivity in in voice technology? Yeah, I think one, I walked through a, I did a presentation recently, a webinar, uh, the Scottsdale Institute, right? And I walked through uh, like a case study where we, a lot of times when we're calling out to patients in a campaign, our client, a hospital, will provide us with a script that they, this is what we normally call with, right? When we have a human call them, this is a good starting point, right? And so they gave us this starting point and the the script they gave us had to do with um, calling uh, male patients and letting them know it's really important that they get this uh, screening for prostate cancer. Um, And I read through the script and it was fine. You know, it's like we're calling because it's really important that you have this screening done for prostate cancer. If you're in one of the risk categories, which could be this or this, it's really important that you get this test. It's a, it's just a basic blood test and blah, blah, blah. And I'm reading through it. And I'm like, okay, so the first thing we need to, to think about on, on a call like this is who are we calling, right? Or who's most at risk? And prostate cancer uh, affects twice as many uh, black men as it does white men. For a variety of reasons, but there are three main reasons. But and one of them is because of societal stigma around the test and the the disease itself, et cetera. And so, what can we do about that? And we can first thing we can do is make sure that the voice that they hear on that call is a is a black male voice, right? We don't want a female voice calling because that is going to maybe set set guys off, right? Like is a little bit like, oh, I'm a little uncomfortable with this. Um, so we have a male voice, but a black male voice, so that they can feel more comfortable 
you know, sort of receiving that information and, and listening to what he's got to say. And then we looked at the wording and realized they didn't, they, they buried the lead. The most important thing about this is that it's simple. It's a simple blood test. You don't have to do anything. Now the old test before it was a, a you know, before they recommended a blood screening for this was a digital rectal examination, which is uncomfortable and people shied away from it. They didn't want to get this test, but now it's just a simple blood test and you're already giving blood when, you know, for other tests when you're at the doctor, then why not just make sure that they, they check for this, right? If they aren't already checking for that. And so we, we had to like kind of move things around a little bit and just rephrase it. We're not like rewriting the whole thing, but we're really making sure that we use words like, you know, like, oh, it's really important that you should get this screening. I'm like, no, it's time for you to take this test. You can do this, right? Like to empower them, use empowering terminology, but also non-medical lingo, right? Like health literacy level for all of our calls, no matter what, we have to make sure that we're not using complex language that the patient's not going to get instantly because they're on a phone call, right? Like you can't, you're not pausing it and like looking something up <laughs> on your phone and then hitting play or rewind or whatever. This is a phone call that's happening. This is it's like a real life conversation, right? Where you don't have the ability to say, hey, can you say that again? Um, and so we had to make sure that the health literacy level is is low. We typically target like a sixth or seventh grade understanding level or reading level. Um, and then make sure that we're really like, it's like advertising, right? It's like you're wordsmithing. You got to make sure each word is, is really important to get across, but like make it in very easy terms of like, I'm calling because there's a, you know, there's a blood test that you can get that will help screen for prostate cancer. Okay. You know, like you didn't lose me. Right. But if you call and you say, listen, there's this test that you should get um, because prostate cancer is really important and you might be in a risk category. I'm like, mm, okay, click. Right. Like you're more likely to, for them to disengage. And so um, the wording's important. We haven't gotten into a place where we've been scripting with certain communities in mind where we use, um, I mean, we have times where we'll have uh, patients will call in the South, right? And we'll, we will have our voice actor talk a little slower because that's how people tend to talk in the Southern US um, and a little faster in the Northern US, right? But like, we don't change the lingo. Um, we don't use any local terms and, and things like that. Um, but that's never off the table in the future, right? Like when you're able to sort of uh, transcode scripts for, or, you know, like code switch, basically, um, you could, we could provide variations of scripts that adapt towards the different, uh, communities that we might be calling. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. I'm thinking about culturally competent mm -hmm. care and maybe, you know, queer communities. Um, right. I would imagine that that would be really important there. And, um, I wanted to ask about what about reaching people in a different language entirely, not mm -hmm. in English? So our programs are available, obviously, in English because um, we're a U.S.-based company. Um, and then a very large proportion of our journeys, I'm trying to think of the, the actual number, but it's like 70% now or 80 almost, um, are available also in Spanish. Um, and so in those – Spanish is because it, you know our calls are, are delivered in the United States right now. And that is the next uh, – next to English, the next you know most uh, popular – uh, language in the country. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's the only, it's not necessarily where we have to stop. 
Um, but we haven't had the demand for additional languages just yet, um, where it does take a bit of work. We have our own in-house translation team. We don't run these scripts through Google Translate um, and then just spit them out you know, in Spanish. Um, we have an in-house ME translation team that does the translation into Spanish. Um, and these are hand translated by, by native speakers that are, that are really translating with care because it's really important to maintain the tone, right, of our English script, but in Spanish and to make appropriate word choices when you're translating. And so every verb has, you know, multiple, you know, variants in another language in Spanish. Let's say um, an automated translator may not pick the right tone. Of, of a verb is like you need to get this, mm -hmm. you know, what you want to do, and then it may translate that as what you desire to do passionately, right? Like in that sort of want. And so there's so many different ways that you could want something, and some are more, and, and they're just different sort of strengths of, of, of need. And need, need and want are two different things. And it may not translate exactly if you have, you know, automated translator. So we do use our in-house translation team, and then we use a separate voice actor. And so one of the things we're doing right now that's also pretty cool on the generative AI side is we are modeling our voice actors in AI to utilize a, a TTS version of text-to-speech version of our voice actors. Uh, so all of our all of our programs are pre-recorded by our voice actors, um, and there's uh, certain points where we have to use text-to-speech because we can't have them record every patient name. Let's say, right? I'm calling I'm calling from General Hospital on behalf of Sally Jones. Um, Sally Jones isn't something that Kristen's going to record every name, right? And also PHI issues, we couldn't possibly, yeah. you know, have that happen. And it just doesn't make sense. So we use a TTS and it doesn't match right now, right? Because not every TTS platform has like all kinds of voices that match our, that, you know, closely match our voice actor. And so we're modeling them using AI to be able to generate their voice. But one of the cool things is we can do cross-lingual modeling and now generate audio using Kristen or Deb, our other voice actor, using their voice in Spanish, and they don't speak Spanish. Mm, uh, so, wow. and we can do, I think it's like 20 different languages or something like that. So like that is where it starts to get really interesting. We modeled my voice this summer as a test when we were doing, uh, before we got into modeling our voice actors. Um, and like hearing my, I, I don't really, I can understand a little Spanish. That's about it. I don't speak Spanish. I can kind of read it and I don't really know, you know, if, if the accent's right or anything, but the TTS is like remarkable when it starts to speak with my voice uh, in, in another language that I don't speak. Um, that's where you start to get into that like science fiction area. Uh, yeah, so that's That's fascinating. pretty exciting stuff that we're, we're, we're working through now. And so, yeah, the, the language is really important too. Just like the voice, like sort of racially, uh, you know, the racial uh, makeup of the, the person who's voicing our calls. The other really important thing is this language as far as the connection goes, right? And so um, it all factors in. Yeah. And I wonder to what extent patients can tell whether it's a native speaker or if it's a, it's a generation. It's, it's really interesting to think about. And I, that's probably its own, you know, worth its own study. <laughs> for sure. But I know we could talk about this for hours, but I think we'll, we'll end there. Freddie, thank you so sure. much for this fascinating conversation. No problem. Thank you for listening to Podnosis. I'm Ayla Ellison. You can find out more about this topic in our show notes at fiercehealthcare.com. Look for podcasts. And don't forget to tune in every Wednesday morning to Podnosis, where healthcare is our beat.